they don't have a space to have that conversation with other like-minded people. There is nowhere that they can go to say, I wonder what other people think about this investment opportunity. I wonder what other people think about whatever it is that is happening that can perhaps influence the way I think about it. Hey there, changemakers. Welcome back to another episode of the Trailblazing in Color podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Chapman Becerra, and today we're diving deep into the world of financial empowerment with a truly remarkable guest, Kalila Reynolds. Kalila is a seasoned journalist, a fearless entrepreneur, and a passionate advocate for financial literacy, with a particular focus on the Caribbean region. I first heard Kalila share her story at Rachel Rogers' ROI Summit this past January in Puerto Rico. And I was blown away by her tenacity and commitment to creating accessible and easy to understand financial education. And I was so excited when she said yes to being on the show. Get ready to be inspired as we explore Kalila's remarkable journey from her journalistic roots to becoming the trailblazing founder of Kalila Reynolds Media. We'll uncover the pivotal moments that shaped her mission and her unwavering commitment to financial education. I can't wait for you to listen. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Trailblazing in Color podcast, where we talk to change makers and innovators focused on upending systems not designed by or for them to create a more inclusive and equitable world. I'm your host, Sarah Chapman Becerra. Welcome to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the Trailblazing in Color podcast. I am so excited to get into our conversation with this incredible pioneer. And before we jump in, let me tell you a little bit more about our guest today. Kalila Reynolds is a financial journalist, educator, and entrepreneur. Her company, Kalila Reynolds Media, creates financial news and education that's easy to understand. Its mission is to help people create and maintain personal wealth and prosperous economies. In 2023, Kalila was honored with the Flair Distinguished Award for Business and nominated for the Jamaica Chamber of Commerce Entrepreneur Award and the JCC slash Yellow Marketing Excellence Award. Kalila is the creator and executive producer of Jamaica's most influential business talk show, Taking Stock, with over 4 million views on YouTube. Meanwhile, her Money Mission online community with over 3,000 members is the place for moneymakers to meet and share ideas and resources. Kalila is also a digital marketing strategist, TEDx, and international speaker and published author of two books. At home, she's a mom to three beautiful children and wife to the world's best husband. I love that. Uh, Welcome to the show, Kalila. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Excited for this conversation. Me too. Thank you for being here. Well, I figured we'd start on the journey, telling us a little bit more about your journey from becoming a financial analyst to becoming the creator of your own media company with this really successful show, making education accessible to everyone. What motivated you to take this path? So I actually started out as a journalist, and it's something that I wanted to do since I was in high school. Originally, I wanted to be a writer. Like I envisioned myself as a great novelist and you know, doing fiction writing. And I was discouraged fairly early. People said, you know, you'll never make money as a writer. Like that's not a career. Um, who's going to pay you to do that? But the mindset, of course, being that you have to have a job, right? Not that you're going to make this into a business somehow. Uh, so I merged my love for writing with my other passion, which was for social good, social justice, current affairs, news. My dad has had a career in public service as well. And so I merged those two things. I'm like, okay, what about journalism? Perfect solution. And so over the years, I started covering everything from the prime minister to the garbage man. You know, I interviewed all those people from high to low and everywhere in between, a bunch of different types of stories. But somewhere along the way, I became very interested in financial news and financial journalism and covering what companies were doing and what the economy was doing. Partly because I also have a love for numbers. I always did very well in math. And if you ever worked in a newsroom, you realize that a lot of journalists hate math and they probably became journalists because they say, oh, I'm great in English. I'm great at writing. I'm great at speaking, but I hate numbers. 
And so those stories always ended up across my desk because I was the only one who liked it. And so I began focusing more firmly on financial journalism. And eventually I started realizing that financial, the way the financial news is covered now, for the most part, it is geared towards a very specific audience. I already know what you're talking about. So they talk about market went up by X number of points. I'm like, what the hell are points? You know, what does this mean? What does that mean? It's like you had to have an economics degree or a degree in finance to understand what they're seeing on the news. And I realized also that business news is relevant to everybody. When you're talking about inflation and all oh, the latest inflation numbers are out and it's X percent and Y percent, all we're talking about is the cost of living. And everybody's interested in the cost of living. If bread prices are higher or lower, if uh, water, if your water bill is going up, electricity is going up, everybody's interested in that. But the way it's often framed, it's this high level conversation that makes you feel like it's not about you when it really is about you. So I started finding a different way to bring across these messages, even companies news. So when companies report their numbers, it's not just about revenue and profit. It's about the people who work at the company. Does this mean that the company is going to have to lay off people? Is this a big company in your area? Is this going to affect your family? Is this going to affect the quality of your service? You know, all of these things relate to us. And so that was the gift that I started presenting to the world, making it more relatable to ordinary people. And so I came up with this idea called Taking Stock, which is a show a business and finance show where we discuss exactly these things. And when I originally pitched it to the television stations, because I was working in radio at the time, and I envisioned it as a TV show, they both said, business and news is boring. Like, nobody's going to watch. We're not interested. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to take it to YouTube. Let's try YouTube. Nobody's watching TV anyway, like cable TV or free-to-air TV. But everybody's on YouTube. And I after on my friends in the industry, I'm like, who are content producers or uh, production managers and so on, they produce for TV. I said, would this work? You know, do you think it would work if I do it on YouTube? Not necessarily for viewership, but could it work financially? Because YouTube don't pay the bills. <laughs> you can make a decent, you know, couple hundred, maybe couple thousand dollars on YouTube based on my audience, because I'm not in the United States where you guys have, you know, 300 million people, you have 3 million, so it's a much smaller audience. Um, would it be a financial success? I was very concerned about that from the beginning. I wasn't doing this just for views, but we also had to at least break even and be able to pay myself because we have a lot of people who do this and they pay everybody else, but they don't pay themselves. And then they realize that what's the point of it? I'm paying a videographer, video editor, producer, graphic designer. I'm paying the television station to carry my content. I'm paying everybody, but I'm working for free, even though it was my idea and I'm producing the majority of the effort to make this happen. So I was very, very insistent early on that it's going to make enough money to pay me as well as cover all the expenses at the very least. So it didn't have to necessarily turn a profit, but I had to be paid as an employee of the company. And everybody said no, that the advertisers would never support a show on YouTube. It had to be on television. And I said, well, let me try anyway. And we reached out to a bunch of people in the industry who, you know, investment firms, banks, insurance companies that we thought might be interested in a show like this. And we started our show with four sponsors. So, and we were able to, to turn a profit, not just break even from the very beginning. That's so great. I mean, so many, so many entrepreneurs and innovators don't necessarily start there is I have this great idea. I'm very passionate about it. Let me just go for it. But of course, being so financially minded, it's you knew the end in mind so clearly around. We need to make it viable and we need to make it something that probably can continue beyond a couple of episodes, yeah. that sustainability. Yep. So yep. now it's grown. You've gotten millions of views. How do you how do you kind of plan for the content, the guests and making sure that it is it continues to be accessible to the audience you're working to serve in this show? 
So we're primarily current affairs. So we follow the news very, very closely. We look at what's happening in the news right now, what's hot, what people might be interested in. If there's an IPO, for example, we're all over that. We're going to cover it. When we started this show, nobody was covering IPOs in Jamaica. Like there's an IPO coming out. It barely gets a paragraph in the news. And I knew there was an audience of people who needed more. Because if you're interested in investing in an IPO, where do you get the information? Other than perhaps reading the 300-page prospectus, which not everybody has time for. I still advise it. You, you try to do it, but... You might not have time, especially since many times the announcement that there's an IPO comes out today and then they'll be like, oh, it's opening tomorrow. <laughs> you don't have time to study in depth. And so we really made a name for ourselves by covering IPOs and any offers that came to the market in depth, contacting like the leaders of those companies, having them on the show, having them explain what this offer is all about, why it might be good for you, what are the risk factors. The stuff that I wanted to know as an investor, and I couldn't find that information anywhere. And I figured there are tons of other people like me who wanted the same info. So that's one of the ways that we get our news. And then we also tried to plan some evergreen content as well, which is, you know, stuff that will always be relevant. So I might find a business leader who's a well-known business leader, or it might be a well-known company that everybody knows this particular company, but nobody knows who owns it. Like, what's that story? How come there's so many of these, these stores all over? I have no idea who owns it and how that started. And so we might find those people who, you know, have a great entrepreneurship story and interview them and get them on the show and tell their story. I love that the right. way you approach the diversity of, of the content, the relevancy of the here and now, but also staying in touch with what the audience needs too. Like even your some of your episodes, like, why is my electricity bill going up? These, these ex the accessible mm -hmm. language and the accessible way you talk about things like inflation that just feel so complicated until you really personalize it to, this is how this impacts you. This is why this story or this company is, is relevant and, and really bringing that into a space where that content isn't available anywhere else. Like you saw a real gap there. Mm -hmm. Which makes me want to talk a bit more about the community that you've been growing, the money mission community online, and this creating this space for people who really care about this stuff and maybe don't necessarily have people in their lives or, or haven't been speaking this language their whole lives. And so you're creating a space to educate, to connect. Can you tell us a little bit more about the catalyst for the community and what, what's happening there now? Right. So something I noticed when we did our, when we do our YouTube lives is that there's always a very active discussion in the chat. And sometimes there are side discussions in the chat. So the discussion is not always related to what we're talking about at the moment. It's just people who are watching, who somebody made a comment about something, somebody else responds, and it just takes on a life of its own in the chat. And I realized these people don't have a space because they don't know each other. And many times they're not even using their real names on YouTube. They don't have a space to have that conversation with other like-minded people. There is nowhere that they can go to say, I wonder what other people think about this investment opportunity. I wonder what other people think about, you know, whatever it is that is happening that can perhaps influence the way I think about it. Because, okay, we're doing this interview about this IPO, but it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And yes, there's the, the chat going on, but you do want to know what the, the other, the wider investment community thinks about it. And I said, you know, maybe we should create that type of space. Maybe we should have a space where people can come together, share opinions, share resources. Uh, maybe I'm a member of the community and I need some help with accounting. I can be like, is anyone in here an accountant? Like, do you know how to do this? And that person can reach out and offer their services um, privately. Or it can be something that happens in the public domain as well. So we often invite people who are community members to make presentations in the community. So if you have expertise in a particular area that you'd like to share, let's set up a webinar and you share that expertise with the community. Sure, let's go ahead and do it. There's no reason that we shouldn't. So it's really a place to share resources and ideas. Um, right now, the community is still very new. So 
we are leading the way with a lot of it and posting that content in there regularly. But it is my hope that eventually it will take on a life of its own and the members will really be the ones kind of running the community and posting content more regularly than I do and, you know, hosting conversations and having their asking us to host webinars and so on. Yeah. Wow. Sourcing from the collective knowledge of everyone there. And what are you, what kinds of things are you seeing, even with the newness of the community, what are you seeing as far as perhaps some of the themes that people are either challenged by or really focused on in, in terms of financial education and growth? Right. So we started out a little bit haphazard <laughs> and I'm still trying to, it's, it launched in May. So it's only been a few months since we've launched. I'm still trying to streamline, you know, how the community works, what are the major themes that we're going to cover. And just last week, I came up with the framework that, okay, every month we'll have a different theme. So we have, we did debt-free month. And for that month, we had four webinars once every week on a different element of, you know, managing debt. So we did one on debt consolidation. We did one on credit cards, paying off your credit cards. We did, I can't remember what some of the others were, but I remember we did four webinars on tackling debt. We also have real estate month coming up, which is this month, September. So we're going to be looking at how to run a profitable Airbnb. And then we're going to look at having long-term tenants. So dealing with um, so long-term rentals, dealing with tenants, how do you get them out when you need to get them out? What are the pros and cons? How do you do it? We're going to do another one on flipping houses. We're going to do another one on how to become a real estate developer. So what I realized when we come up with themes like this, it's much easier for us to plan as opposed to every week, oh my God, what webinar am I going to do next week? Oh, can't think of anything. But when you have your themes, it becomes a whole lot easier to do. So so that's how we're trying to approach it now. I'm working on a calendar for the next six months that I can post in the community. And so people know what's coming up, what's to, what to expect. Uh, no, I shouldn't cancel my membership yet because next month this other thing is coming up that I'm really interested in. And we also solicit ideas from the community. Like, what do you guys want us to do next? I'm such a big proponent of of community building and of creating space that doesn't doesn't exist before and the way that you approach just the the diversity of topics and the diversity of ways in which one can build wealth generational wealth too you're you're really you've got that lens to say it doesn't look one way and has Mm -hmm. it, it can and should look a lot of different ways so let's offer a lot of different possibilities there of that well, thinking beyond uh, beyond the community and looking at your media company as a whole, you've accomplished some things as a digital marketing strategist and being able to build your business, build your platform, but also navigated, I'm sure, a lot of challenges along the way. What have been some of those challenges in growing this company and growing this brand and this show? And then what strategies have you used to grow it to what it is now? So COVID. <laughs> yes. We started in October of 2019 and what, four months, five months, October, November, December, January, February, March, five months later, boom, here's COVID. And it was a challenge to say the least, because now we started with all this enthusiasm, all this energy, the channel was growing, was doing great. Everybody's interested. The market was up and it just kept going up and up and up. And now, boom, COVID and the market tanks, right? And now everybody's scared and nobody wants to watch my show because they don't even want to know what their portfolio looks like right now. People lost a lot of money. And for those who were thinking about starting, they're like, nope, not for me, not doing it. And so that was a big challenge in the beginning, but we kept at it. We kept doing it because there were still people and realized quickly that we had to change the messaging. We had to be like, okay. Warren Buffett says, be greedy when others are, what does it go? <laughs> be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. So when other people are scared, the mass community is scared to invest. Now is your opportunity because prices are low. So we had to change our messaging to emphasize that point. 
And, you know, we kept our core audience. We had people who left, but eventually they came back. We kept the core audience. We kept going. We changed formats because it used to be an in-person recording. We used to record at a studio. We used to rent out a studio space, which made it a very expensive endeavor. And I realized that, oh, I had never heard about Zoom before. COVID. Did you? Did you know about Zoom a, before a COVID? A little bit, but little, not to the I had never heard about it before. So nobody was meeting in person during COVID, especially in the early, like March, April. And so we decided to switch the format to Zoom. It's going to be a fir- virtual interview, which ended up saving us a whole lot of money because now we don't have to pay a videographer. We don't have to pay the studio. We don't have to, like, there's a lot of expenses that got cut because we switched to this virtual model, but we were still bringing in the same income from those four sponsors I told you about. We didn't reduce our prices. We kept the price the same because even though, you know, it's a virtual interview, the information and the value of the content is still the same. Plus, many of those sponsors have paid upfront for three, six, six months, even a year. So we already had those funds in place. And so I tell people that COVID actually saved my business. Like it made us a real business because before that I was still working full time at the radio station and doing this like on the side part time. And I had no intentions of leaving my job in radio. Um, This was just a fun thing to do on the side and it was great. It was going well, but now that we had all this extra cash, I was able to invest in equipment. So I started buying our own equipment so that when I envisioned COVID would be over, we could do it at our own studio instead of having to rent a studio. I also eventually in October of that year, so one year after we started, October 2020, I quit my job in radio and started doing this full time. And then a couple months after that, hired our first full time employee and it just kept growing from there. So, so that was quite a phase. Our viewership did fall during COVID. It fell like in half, which was challenging to justify to the advertisers that, hey guys, you should still stick with us even though our viewership has fallen. But when you see we stick with it, we remain consistent and, you know, we're, we're back up now. That ability to commit and be agile and also see the wins after of, you know, Actually, this gave us a whole new way to think about it, to monetize it. And yeah, I hear sometimes these pivots during COVID tend to be positive. But gosh, I can't imagine how you must have felt in the moment making all those quick changes and pivots and learning new platforms and new ways of still being able to stay with your original intent of creating these this content for this particular audience. And now you've got some things to show for it. I mean, you've got a successful show, absolutely. And you've gotten some really positive accolades, including this year's Blair Distinguished Award for Business, alongside actress Cheryl Lee Ralph. You're doing some amazing things. So how have these accolades really helped your mission and helped you kind of carry this work forward? It definitely helps to boost morale amongst myself and the team. Because this year, 2023, has been a pretty challenging year as well. So probably as challenging as COVID, maybe even more so. Because the market is down again. And beyond that, here in Jamaica, we've had a lot of negative news that have really affected investor confidence. So we started the year right when I was at ROI in January. This huge scandal broke about Usain Bolt. Uh, You might have seen it on the news. Um, So his investment firm, his investment advisor, conned him out of millions of dollars, US dollars, uh, among, and he was just one of the people that was scammed, allegedly. That's not been proven in court yet. But he was one of several people. As a matter of fact, the Financial Services Commission just put out a statement yesterday saying that the fraud was twice the size that we originally thought. So they originally thought it was 40 clients affected. It was, it's now like 80 clients affected and it's millions of dollars. The investment for um, all those customers, it seems they're going to lose their money. And so, and because somebody as high profile as Usain Bolt was involved, who's a national treasure, who everybody loves Usain Bolt. Now everyone's saying, me, put my money in, in an investment firm. 
I'm supposed to trust these people. And then they were all looking at me like, Kalila, you tell me, you've been saying that I should invest, but look what happened to Bull. And so I immediately, and this all was happening while I was at ROI, like crisis mode. What do we do? I'm supposed to be here, you know, not vacation, but, you know, learning all these things, experiencing all these things. But back at home, it's like pandemonium. Everybody's waiting for me to say something and to tell them what to do. And I'm in Puerto Rico, you know? Wow. <laughs> so it was a crazy time. And I had to really reflect and say, okay, what do, what do I say to people now? What is the message? And I immediately had to pull on my ads because that wasn't the right message at the time to be telling people, yes, you should invest. Nobody wants to hear that. As a matter of fact, the day the story broke, I did have one running. I had a post that went up because we scheduled stuff in advance. All the comments were like, go away, very negative comments. Like, why are you telling us this? Look what happened to Bull. So I had to pull all of my ads, which means that our revenue for January and February, like we didn't get, I couldn't sell any of my courses. I couldn't do, you know, any of that type of business. So we took a financial hit because of it. But I was still able to keep the audience loyal to me, even though I couldn't sell them anything at that point in time because of the way I responded to the situation. Uh, so I put out, out a video saying, you know, I'm disappointed in everything that happened. And I empathize with the people because I feel like, too, I'm an investor too. I feel betrayed too, you know? And I made some recommendations for how the government and the authorities should approach it, like what steps they should put in place. And that message was received very, very well and shared widely. And so people were able to maintain their trust in me even though they didn't really have trust in the system overall at the time. So that was a challenging time. And then that was followed by a series of other things like Lemony Snicket, a series of unfortunate events. Like this entire year has been just one thing after the next, after the next, after the next. But we still have our core audience that remains true to the, to the mission, to the money mission, who understands what's going on and continue to follow the developments. And we also have to pivot in our message. So it's not as investment heavy anymore. We're also telling people, start your business, do real estate, look at other areas, diversify your portfolio. So we really have to just be adoptable and go with the time. Mm -hmm. And my gosh, it's not easy. And I'm sure it is exhausting. And it's such a testament to your ability to know your audience and continue build that mm -hmm. trust that they need from you because you are giving, sharing wisdom and, and collecting wisdom that is upending systems or challenging systems that have been done in one way. And that requires a lot of trust for people to stay with you. And that example mm -hmm. of, of earlier this year, yeah, when we were immersed supposed to be immersed in this experience, focused on our own development and growth, here you are managing a crisis from afar. And yet yep. coming away to say, I, I know what I want my audience to know and feel from me and what they need to hear to feel informed. And yeah, but it made it overall a tough financial year for us because we, like I said, early on, we had to stop running our ads and stop selling, you know, the courses that we sell. But we also make a significant amount of revenue from our programming. So we get YouTube revenue and we also sell ad space on our, our shows. We also sell entire interviews. So I could you know, sell an interview and we do a lot of IPO interviews specifically. And this entire year, there hadn't been any IPOs. Like we were doing like once a month. And every time one comes out, we get paid to do the interview and to promote the IPO and let people know, you know that this IPO is out. And now we don't have any at all for eight months. The first IPO of the year just came out last month. And so we lost a lot of revenue from that. So overall, we lost. And speaking engagements, big losses. Nobody wants to hear this message right now. Uh, we're not getting our special features, the paid interviews that we usually do. We can't sell our courses. <laughs> so it's been a financially challenging year. But I also thought about it a different way. I thought, well, time to trim some fat. And there was fat. There were things that I was spending money on that I knew I didn't need to spend money on. But because we had the money, it's like, sure, why not? You know, I don't need to have X, Y, Z in the business. 
But, and I always knew that I didn't need to, that, but I wanted to. And then also, some of it has to do with, uh, with human resources, with employees or contractors. So I knew that I was overpaying for a particular service. But, you know, I like the person. And also, I'm a little bit of a softie when it comes to negotiating contracts and firing people. Like, I hate doing it. I hate confrontation. So I just let it slide and let it continue as it was. But now that we're in this situation and every single dollar counts, I have to confront those things. I have to address it. Have to trim the fat, even though it's unpleasant. We have to have those conversations. We have to renegotiate the contracts. And I think that's going to make us a healthier company even when we come out of this. So we're going to be a more profitable company. We're going to have more cash reserves for times like this. And as you're moving forward, I know that these pivots, they are hard because your heart's in it too. It's so much your business, your company is so interconnected to your purpose, your passion, and, and the heart you have for this work and for the people that help you do it. When you have people who rely on you, mm-hmm. who left their jobs to come work with you full time, like you feel obligated to them, you know. So what does support look like going forward to move through this challenging year? Support in what way? Just in terms of maybe what focus you're carrying forward with and how can how can your audience, how can those who are getting to know you now and the work that you do, how can we all support you as you move through this transitional time? Yeah. Watch the shows, spread the word, join the Money Mission community. And that's a big part of why we launched Money Mission in May, because it's like, okay, we don't have all these sources of revenue are out the window. How else can we make money? And it's something that I wanted to do before, but I just didn't act on. So we had to move it up, launch it and you know promote that. So that has been a big help in helping us to fill those gaps and get people, get some money, get some revenue in the door. My family has been a huge help. My husband in particular, I borrowed money from him, <laughs> put stuff on credit cards. Uh, you know, I've done what we have to do to make it, to make things happen, to make ends meet. But ultimately, in my mind, I know that we're going to make it. Like giving up is not an option. Closing shop is not an option. Too many people depend on the information that we put out regularly. My heart is in it. I know that there is a market and that that market continues to grow every single day. And there's no way I'm giving up like that. Never even enters my mind. That's not even a thought. The thought is always, how can we achieve? How can we do this? How can we make more? And I often go back thinking about what Rachel says. Well, you know, you can make money. You just got to be creative. You just have to find ways to make the money or rather than cutting back, even though I am cutting back right now, it's things that I knew we were wasting money on to begin with. So it just forced me to confront those. But finding new ways. So my next project, my next big project is Money Week. That's going to be, I'm planning that now for February of 2024. I just came from InvestFest in Atlanta. That was last weekend. And one of my big purposes there was just to see how they execute an event of that scale. You know, how they put it together. What are the different features, the panel? Do they have separate rooms? They have breakout rooms. They have a a second stage. How are they managing the logistics of it? So a big objective was just to observe. And I came back fully energized. Like the entire flight back, I wrote pages and pages of stuff. I came up with my proposed schedule, like all the people who I want to have at the event. I came up with, hey, who do I need to call? What venue do I need to book? Expanded the vision for the venue because I was thinking 500 people. Now I'm thinking 2,000 people, <laughs> you know? So that means we need a much bigger venue, which means that we're going to need security. We're going to have to look at parking. How do we feed people? Is food included? Will there be food outside, like food trucks or, you know, all these different logistical things have come into play. But when I ran the numbers, could be a very profitable event. And I think it's an event that we need to, to make a bang and to announce our presence. Like for those who haven't heard of us, they're going to know who we are after Money Week. Because I'm putting marketing is going to be 100. It's going to be on the radio. Every time you turn on the radio, you're going to hear an ad for Money Week. You're going to see banners. You're going to see billboards. We are going to have a huge presence just driving around Kingston and 
in different areas of Jamaica, people are going to know what this message is. Oh, that sounds, it sounds just really fueling and energizing because so often we are so disconnected and we don't get to come together physically. And that's what made ROI so special in January is we were all physically together and the conversations that happen both on stage and off stage are invaluable. So where are you looking to focus Money Week? What kind of audience or what kind of gathering are you looking to bring people? What kind of people? So all walks of life. I'd love to have a lot of entrepreneurs there. I'd love to have people who are interested in investing, who haven't taken the step yet, but want to do it. So I'm looking at an audience of about 2,000 people attending the event, but I also want to have. So we have this thing called the Money Marketplace where you can visit. They're not just vendors, but financial institutions, brokerage firms. You can go there. You can open an investment account on the spot. So for everybody who's been procrastinating with doing that, um, here's your opportunity to fill out all those forms and get your account opened right then and there. You can apply for a loan. You can check out insurance packages. You can get like a mini consultation on taxes. So it's the money market, please. So people who are interested in that type of thing, you get that opportunity right there in the room over the course of two to three days. And it's going to be very exciting. I'm really, really looking forward to it. We haven't tied down all the details yet as to how we're going to approach it. We have to break out rooms or just a second stage. All depends on what the venue can accommodate, which is my biggest challenge right now, finding a venue that can, you know, host all the things that we want to host. So a lot of work coming up in the next few months. If anyone can think and creatively solve these challenges, Kalia, I think it's you. (laughs) Just so, so good at pivoting and meeting what the needs are of of the situation and of, of the evolution of the idea. So I'm so excited for that because also it's this financial stuff is something that we so easily put to the side and ignore or I know I should. It's just full of so many shoulds. But to have such an action driven place for people to come together and say all those shoulds you've been putting off, let's do them now. Let's get them done Mm -hmm. and let's set you on a better path for this year and the rest of your life because you know you know how this works more and you know how to make it work yeah. to your yours and your family's and your legacy's advantage. And that's really I see mm-hmm. how I see the work that you're doing is this legacy-driven work. And I know you're a mom too. So you're you're building your legacy outside of the home, but also inside of the home. So how do you manage all of this at home too? Like how do you how do you infuse and integrate this work with your kids and your husband? I have a lot of help. Good. <laughs> I have a lot of help. So grandma and grandpa are, they basically moved in. <laughs> They're here all the time because I have to split my time. We no longer live in Kingston, which is the biggest city in Jamaica. We live in a smaller town called Mandeville, which is about a two-hour drive away. So I have to split my time between Kingston and Mandeville. So the days that I'm in Kingston, grandma and grandpa are here holding it down at home. And they're really a huge help. We also have a full-time what we call helper in Jamaica, which is like a catch-all phrase. They do everything. So they do the housework. They help with the kids. Uh, she does my daughter's hair, which is that alone. <laughs> that alone saves me a lot of time because she has a lot of hair. And on a Sunday, I just cut my hair like last week. I had long hair too. So Sunday, it's like just wash day between me and her doing my hair and then doing her hair. That's the entire day is taken over. And so now I cut mine, so that gets rid of my problem. And we have our helper who does my daughter's hair, so that takes care of that other issue. And that makes a huge difference, having full-time help at home. Plus, the grandparents are here too. Yeah, I have a a whole lot of help. I can't complain. And my husband is very active in the house as well, in the household. He's great with the kids. That's huge. I mean, it it takes so much. It takes so much to raise humans take so much to raise a business and build it all that we need so much help and I think that's the lie of entrepreneurship that we have to figure out how to do it all that's such a powerful message I gained from Rachel Rogers and and her work and seeing that our community model that too is hey you need to get help so you can put your energy and focus and skills where they are best served and where they're going to make you the most money so yeah 
So now when I spend time with my kids, it's just fun stuff. It's not chores and doing the dishes. And, you know, when we spend time together, it's fun. Mm-hmm. Homework might not be fun for them, but, <laughs> but, you know, it's stuff that counts. It's not just mundane, run-of-the-mill stuff. It's stuff that counts that they remember. We can create memories together. We can spend quality time together, not just doing chores and doing hair and, you know, the stuff that we don't like doing. Right. And then that that's all that it is. It's not quality time. It's just more time doing not fun things, not joyful things together. Right. And you get I mean, you're so creative in so many ways. And I know that you are a poet, too, and you have these poetry books published. How do you integrate this or why is creativity so important to you? Why is that? Oh, you went way back. <laughs> you did some research because I haven't done anything poetry related in a while, probably since I started the business because it's just been full time. But yes, we do. I have a very creative brain. So stuff comes up that people are like, how did you even think of that? It's just, I don't know, it's just how my brain works. My brain often associates sounds. I might be in the middle of a sentence and it reminds me of a song and I just start singing the song. And then that becomes some type of ad or it becomes a light moment in the show that we do in Taking Stock and then it gets the audience to laugh. It brings them along with us. Mm. And in terms of writing, like I said, my original passion was to grow up and be a writer, be a poet, be a novelist, you know, have a way with words. And now I get to have a way with words, but in a different way. And for a different purpose, like not just for the beauty of the words themselves, but to have those words have an impact beyond just, oh, those words sound beautiful. And this was a fun story. And it might not be the same poetry, flowery language. Um, It's actually the opposite because I've learned that, you know, in journalism and in being an effective communicator, you want to break it down to the smallest common denominator. It's not about the vocabulary that you know and all the big words. And, you know, it's not about that at all. It's about the opposite. You just want to be relatable. You want to write to a grade five reading level so that everybody can understand you. If I can't understand it to my fi- explain it to my five-year-old, then I don't understand it adequately to explain it to you. You know, so stuff like that, envisioning a, a younger audience. All of that comes into play and that's where you get to be creative as well. So what is the common denominator? What are people interested in right now? Which is why I kind of took a liking to TikTok because TikTok tells you what people are interested in right now. It tells you what the trends are. It uses music. People think you have to dance on TikTok. You don't necessarily have to dance, but there is a culture on TikTok that entertainment is a heavy part of it. And so we're doing financial news But we also have to find a way to get your attention and to make it somewhat entertaining. And so that's been an influence on the way that we work as well. You can see it. I mean, it's so cool to hear your journey, which is where we started around, you know, how how did all of these interests, all of these passions and this need and skill and being creative and bringing more of your authentic self to the space that you're in has really led you to to be here and, and taking all of those things that make you such a genius in what you do and so accessible. I mean, language is such a powerful thing and how we use language intentionally to create more space for people, to bring more people into to accessing information that hasn't always been available. It's so powerful. So, Leela, thank you so much for the work that you do and for what you're bringing to the world. Thank you so much, Sarah. I want to ask a couple quick take questions just around, you know, trailblazing in color. You are such a trailblazer. Who has who has inspired you? Who paved the way for you? My biggest two inspirations, Oprah and Rihanna. Say more. Ah, they are my, they are my unofficial mentors. So I just kind of study what they do. So Oprah, of course, media maven, media mogul. She's the, just the original it girl, the model for what we do. Started out as a journalist, just like me. Ended up with her own talk show that she developed and that she owns the production company that produces it as well. And then moved into having her own network. So just studying what Oprah does and how she's achieved it. She's just been a huge inspiration all my life. 
And then Rihanna, being a Caribbean girl like me, she's from Barbados, and it just blows my mind how this girl from this tiny island can just dominate the world and become a billionaire. So starting out with music and then just seeing her work ethic. Like for seven years, Rihanna had an album every single year. So it might not be my industry being music, but just seeing how she just goes hard. She works so hard and how she's improved because coming from Panda Replay, and I remember when she had a, a ballad, Unfaithful, I'm like, Rihanna's voice is, you know, it's a pop star voice. It's not Beyonce's voice. It's not Mariah Carey's voice, but it can make her some coins. But know where her voice is and listening to how she can sing and project compared to where she was 10 years ago. It's like, it's amazing to see the growth that can happen in somebody who just keeps at it consistently, keeps working. Because singing is one of those things if you like, oh, you're just either born with it or you're not. You're either talented or you're not. But to see somebody improve that dramatically just by putting in the work is that's amazing to me. Because I have this thing when I started journalism, I started to write. I wanted to be a writer. But my first job opportunity was in radio. And I was like, why the hell do these people want to put me on radio? Like, I hate my voice. My voice sounds terrible. Like, I'm a great writer, brilliant writer. I have a decent looking face. I could be on TV, but radio, the one part of me that I hate, my voice is what you want to focus on. Oh my God. But my voice has improved a lot over the years. The quality of the voice, the way I've learned to, to control it, the inflections, you know, I've learned a lot. And so I compare myself to Rihanna in that way and see, you know, just how she works, how she's managed, how she's become an owner of her stuff. And then it's just so inspiring seeing somebody who came from a small place in the Caribbean, similar size population like Belize, where I'm originally from, 300,000 people. Now it's about 400,000 and to rise to the height of global greatness and achievement. It's a huge motivating force. Mm -hmm. And consistency is, I mean, for both of them, but also for you in every phase, not giving up, staying committed to to the goal and and saying, okay, we're going to pivot. It's, I mean, I see it so much in, in what you're creating. How can people, uh, I know I asked the question, how can people support you? Anything else to promote, to share, to let people know so we can keep following your journey and keep supporting the community you're building? So you can find me all over social media at Kalila Ray. That's K-A-L-I-L-A-H-R-E-Y. You can visit the website, kalilareynolds.com. Join the Money Mission community and, you know, you can book me for speaking engagements. I travel around the world to speak. I love speaking. We speak. One of the main topics I talk about women in business, marketing strategy, and also investing, particularly investing in the Caribbean because there's so many opportunities here right now. People like in the U.S., you guys tend to not look beyond your own borders for opportunities, but there's so many opportunities in this region right now, Jamaica's tourism industry, for example, is booming, which means not only hotels, but supporting services, transportation, how these people are going to get from the airport, or restaurants, entertainment, accommodation. It means that now more workers are living in that part of the island. They're going to need housing. They're going to need schools for their kids. So it means that there are just so many ripple effects when you have an industry like tourism booming. You have real estate in Kingston really taking off. In Guyana, that country discovered oil about three years ago, and they're now the fastest growing economy in the world. They grew 60% last year, and that's going to have a tremendous impact on their economy because they're so underdeveloped. The government's going to have, not have money to build roads. Who's going to get those contracts? Uh, who's going to do the work? They now have money to build more schools, more hospitals, better housing better education, better everything for, for those people. So there are so many opportunities in this region right now, even Belize, where I'm from, seeing all the investment and the development that's going on there. So that's something that I talk about. I'm actually going to be talking about that in November. I've been invited to Princeton University to deliver a talk about investing in the Caribbean. So can book me to speak, Women in Business, Talking about that journey, work-life balance, which is what I spoke about at ROI, 
uh, social media strategy, marketing strategy, digital strategy, and also our investing. So we speak about budgeting, managing debt, and investing, specifically investing in the Caribbean. Wow. Thank you, Kalila. There's, you. there's so much going on in, in the expertise you're, you're bringing. Thank you for telling us how we can stay engaged in your work. And thank you for doing this work. I'm so excited for Money Week coming in February. Everyone, when there's more details, we'll be sure to share them too. But thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for the contributions you're making to to our world to make it better and more, more inclusive when it comes to financial literacy and education. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. All the best to you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Trailblazing in Color podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to hit subscribe for future episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at trailblazingincolor and at trailblazingincolor.com slash podcast. The Trailblazing in Color podcast is created and executive produced by me, Sarah Chapman Becerra. The Trailblazing in Color podcast season one production team includes Alicia Archer and the podcast Bestie team, led by Angie M. Jordan and supported by Jean Credit and Sarah Decker. Our theme song was composed by Troy Chapman. Thanks, Dad.